Hi Lynn and Lynn's community, this is Dr. Neff here or Megan Anna, you can call me either. Lynn, thank you for your graciousness and understanding. We are miscommunication and then, um, yeah, just my energy spoon's been pretty limited for more interactive um, pre presentations at this time. I, I found it really interesting that we are talking about self-advocacy and then we were um, negotiating self-advocacy through that email. So I thought I would read an excerpt from my book, Self-Care for Autistic People, and then talk a little bit about the self-disclosure thermometer, as well as provide a um, redesigned handout of that that you can give to your community. So for context, Self-Care for Autistic People, it is a book that is divided up into short entries meant to be kind of bite-sized so that people can pick it up and then um, put it back down and, and take in information as they have capacity. So the excerpt that I'm reading is Discover the Power of Self-Advocacy, and this is part of the Boundaries and Self-Advocacy section of the chapter, or of the book. The concept of self-advocacy may initially seem daunting to you, but it can be as straightforward as requesting a different seat or seeking clarification on a puzzling question. In essence, self-advocacy involves voicing your needs. As an autistic individual, it often falls on you to request the accommodations that enable you to function optimally in a world typically tailored to the needs of allistic bodies and minds. The process of self-advocacy can be streamlined by keeping the following equation in mind. Self-disclosure plus request equals self-advocacy. Self-advocacy frequently involves intertwining a disclosure about a particular need with a specific request. While the disclosure part isn't always necessary, it's this pairing that morphs it into a powerful act of self-advocacy. For instance, I recently found myself seated at a restaurant at a metallic table under glaring artificial lights. The metallic odor proved overwhelming. I asked the server if I could relocate, explaining I have sensory sensitivities and the metallic aroma is making me nauseated. Could I possibly switch to a wooden table? The server graciously complied, and I found myself in a comfortable spot with natural lighting and a wooden table. Other examples might be, I have auditory processing differences, which makes it hard for me to hear in loud environments. Can we continue our conversation outside? I thrive on direct communication. Would you mind elaborating on your feedback so I can better understand how to improve? It's crucial to remember that full disclosure is not a prerequisite for self-advocacy. Partial self-disclosure, such, such as mentioning sensory differences, auditory processing difficulty, or a, pre or a preference for direct communication, is completely acceptable. Or you can simply request what you need without an explanation at all. Articulating your specific needs and making a request is particularly assertive and effective self-advocacy. Sometimes jotting down a quick script ahead of time can make the interaction go more smoothly. To practice, reflect on the past week, identify the situations where accommodations would have been beneficial. Using the self-advocacy equation, create scripts for those scenarios, or consider common experiences you have and write self-advocacy scripts for those. Practice reciting these scripts out loud. Keep your comfort level with self-disclosure in mind and modify the scripts as needed. Self-advocacy is a powerful tool, and like any skill, it can be honed with practice. Don't berate yourself if you stumble in your initial attempts. In addition, there will unfortunately be instances where you might face resistance or misunderstanding. 
Such reactions often stem from a lack of knowledge about neurodivergence and are not a reflection of your worth or your request validity. When faced with such responses, reaffirm your worth and remind yourself that you deserve accommodations that allow you to interact with the world. It might be helpful to have a supportive friend or a mentor with whom you can debrief and strategize for future instances. With time, you'll notice that self-advocacy self becomes more natural and the hurdles less daunting. Okay, so that is my entry on the self-advocacy equation. I like to simplify things because they can stick to my brain better when they are simplified. So this is where I really like this equation of self-disclosure plus request. Um, a person doesn't have to self-disclose to make a request, but I find that tends to um, make it a more compelling request. The reason I created the self-disclosure thermometer is because people like me with my neurology, we tend to have all or nothing thinking. And so the first time I heard about or read about partial self-disclosures, I was like, oh my gosh, wow, this is a really brilliant idea. You mean I it's not all or nothing. It's not saying nothing about myself or saying I'm autistic. Um, and so I wanted to visualize and have a resource that people could use where they could actually visualize what does it look like to have a partial self-disclosure. Um, it is not always safe to fully self-disclose. Uh, we might not always want to fully self-disclose for so many reasons. And so when it comes to self-advocacy, I think thinking through what is the thing I need here to be able to move through the space? Um, what that need, what is it tied to about my experience in the world or about my identity that I'm comfortable disclosing to this person? And from there, we can make self-advocacy scripts. And there's a first, wait, I'm going to take a sip of tea. Um, this is one of the aspects of long COVID. I, I lose my lung capacity quickly. So I'm going to take some tea and take a breath real quick. So one final thought that builds into self-advocacy. Um, self-advocacy depends on self-awareness. And that's something that a lot of us struggle with, partly due to interoception struggles, so body awareness struggles, alexithymia, so difficulty identifying emotions, or if it's someone who masks and is so um, kind of has so much experience of cueing into the needs of others, they can have a really hard time knowing what they need. So often the foundational building blocks of self-advocacy is actually self-awareness. Um, and so we can teach skills. There's definitely skills that go into um, teaching self-advocacy, but I would say more fundamentally is actually self-awareness and that sometimes that is the hardest step. Um, so yeah, when it comes to self-advocacy, self-awareness and then building skills and then building confidence through practice are some of the kind of core ingredients that I think of as going into self-advocacy. There's also a whole system aspect of self-advocacy and that's um, that's a whole other can of worms, learning how to navigate systems. And there's some really great advocates and educators out there who can provide people with a lot of education on how to know your rights and to know how to advocate within systems. That's not what I specialize in, but there's, there's some really good people out there. Um, one resource I really like is Jan, J-A-N. I'll send you a link to that. 
um, they have like a directory of kind of recommended accommodations based on they have it for all sorts of different disabilities but then even more so based on like if you have light sensitivities so that's a great place if someone's just wanting to generate ideas of like I have access to accommodations for my school but I don't even know what to ask for um, Jan, J-A-N, that can be a great place to just generate some ideas of what accommodations might even be helpful. Okay, I hope that this is helpful to you and helpful to your community. And I, on my podcast, I am the queen of awkward goodbyes. So um, very fittingly, here I am saying an awkward goodbye. Bye.